All right, welcome to Office Hours. Today is August 3rd. Uh, this is Mike Moore from Averitech, and with me is Peter Thomas, our CEO. And our guest this week is Connor McFarland, the CEO of 3i Technologies. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, thanks, Mike. Glad to be Thank here. Thank you. All right, so uh, Connor, you know, we were talking about having you as a guest on Office Hours, and I said, you know, you're a little bit of a different kind of guest for us because you're uh, Three Eyes uh, value-added distributor, and we don't often talk to Disties, but I think that that's uh, uh, Disties obviously play a very uh, important role in the channel, and so I think it's great that you have offered to be a guest here, and so um, I'm excited to to talk to you and kind of get some questions going. So for our guests who are on Crowdcast Live today, you can go ahead and submit questions uh, through the Q&A tool. If you have some questions you already know you want to ask, get Connor's perspective on uh, partner marketing, distribution, kind of the, the way that those uh, things work together. We're going to talk about it, obviously, too. Um, I've also put a poll here into Crowdcast asking, do you currently work with distributors on your partner marketing initiatives? So you can choose yes, no, or don't have a DISTI. Maybe you're thinking you need to start working with distributors and, um, and you're considering that and interested in that perspective. So feel free to answer those question, uh, that question in the polling area and submit any questions that you have for Connor. And uh, we'll take it from there. So let's go back and, and just kind of uh, uh, do a little bit of introductions, Connor. So um, you're president and CEO of 3i. You've been doing the 3i company for about seven years, looks like. Um, but before that, you were at CDW for a long time. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what you did at CDW and, and how that influenced you to go ahead and start 3i? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mike, and thanks for having me. So my history is I started working at CDW around 2003, and at some point, probably around 05, we started to look a little bit more closely at the vertical markets we were selling into at the time, and then we did some additional categorization of our customer base, and we cross-referenced that with technology categories, and what we found was there was a lot of mobile technology applications being sold into certain verticals. Uh, the other thing we realized was that there was a big gap in the CDW product portfolio, and I appointed myself to go out and try to onboard some new mobility partners. We weren't calling it mobility at the time. Mm -hmm. But what happened as a result of that is I would, I would find new technology, vet the companies, and then try to get them aligned with broadline distribution. And we struggled a lot in, in, that, in that market where we had emerging vendors that had little channel experience. And we'd send them to a broadline DISTI, tell them, work with them, they'll get you set up, and only to come to find out that we'd start to engage with them and they weren't really channel ready and they didn't have all the motions down. So after a bunch of fits and starts with that, I eventually said, hey, why isn't there a distributor out there focused on this segment of the market, that mid-market and emerging? So I finally went out and did that, and our focus as a company is on mid-market and emerging technology, and I define mid-market as loosely sub $50 million in channel revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that gives you a, a space to play in where you're not trying to compete with the Ingram Micros and DNHs and Cynics and those kind of tech datas, those kind of companies, essentially, right? You've got a, a niche that you can serve companies in because of your focus. That's right. So that, that gives you a, an opportunity, I think, to, um, and as I've gotten to know you over the last few months and kind of hear about what you're doing at 3i, 
it sounds like a lot of the companies that you meet uh, maybe are coming to distribution for the first time and they're they're not quite sure kind of how to go to market with a DISTI. So can you talk a little bit more about how you work with companies in that space? Yeah, over the years we've built through a series of iterations what we now call our channel readiness assessment program and in fact that's the latest iteration of that as it's being built up into something much more robust that's it's, its own consulting practice now. So that's the, the latest but where it started was my vision on how to engage was, was very hands-on, very consultative. I saw from being on the reseller side how much emerging and, and mid-market vendors needed help in executing their channel program. So we started to try to, from day one, have hands-on, you know, go shoulder to shoulder, help them build strategy, execute the strategy, inform them on what kind of programs they need, and give them tools to to better engage and better enable their channels. So it's, there's almost a life cycle that uh, that brands go through, I suppose, as they're growing. And uh, you know, if they say channel is a, a route to market for us, right? We're going to sell through channel partners because that's a a good way to get access to more customers, or it's something you know complementary to things that channel partners, you know, traditional channel partners are already doing. You know, going direct and kind of like you can manage a certain amount of channel partners on your own before you grow to the point where you're saying, okay, how do I grow more, right, and, and manage those people without having to hire a new headcount to manage every X number of partners. Um, so you ha there must be a, a, some life cycle like that that you've seen. You, know, I mean, you think about this a lot more than I do, I'm sure, but mm -hmm. what do you see with companies? Like, what, what is the tipping point where they say, all right, distribution is the right next move for us? Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I mean, the first starts with are you channel ready? That's question number one. And so we have a series of things that we go through to help assess channel readiness. Things like mm -hmm. executive support. Do you have a defined sales motion? Do you have the tools and resources to enable your channel? Do you have a mature enough customer base that will go on record and say things like, hey, we've used your product. It works. It Here's the business problem that it solves. When you build that momentum, then you're ready to start looking at building your channel. And at that point, it's a series of decisions that you have to make on any channel, whether it's direct or indirect, requires time and attention, and, and with time and attention comes spending. So the advice we give to, to companies that we speak with as, as they look at channel and look at evaluating their options is to try to be clear that there is a cost to build any channel, whether that's direct or indirect, and then you have to decide is distribution the right fit or do you want to go it alone. And with distribution, at least in our niche, what we find is many of our vendors lack a huge channel team. We're not dealing with the Cisco's, the Microsoft's of the world. We might have our larger partners have a channel, a dedicated channel team that's maybe a handful of people. So we very much complement and supplement and amplify their channel presence. And we've been there and we've done that both from reseller side and from vendor side. So we have a, a breadth of experience. In, in channel building. And, and really our sole focus is how to sell to sellers. So that's what we think about day in and day out. So a little bit of context. Yeah, and I think of different companies that I've worked for in my own career, like having worked at Microsoft where, you know, it's like the power and the size and that kind of big company. And then I went to work at Progress Software where the company was much smaller. But the partners uh, at Progress, a lot of the feedback that I got there was they liked the size of the company because it was smaller, they could deal with the people who really understood their needs and how to help them go to market. And I have to imagine that 
you know, obviously you're working hard with the team to grow 3i and become bigger, but it's, you know, having that market focus where you're looking at the emerging and the mid-market companies that you want to help serve, I'm betting that companies appreciate that, that they, they'll know you, they'll work with your team, you'll have an identity um, both directions, right, to be able to get that kind of focus versus kind of getting lost in the warehouse somewhere. Yeah, I mean, every vendor that we bring on is important to us and is a important part of our business. Uh, it's not just add to the line card mentality. And, you know, there's a lot that's being talked about with the cloud and the role of distribution and how it's, you know, either going away or struggling to survive and all these kind of things. Now, you know, from a product standpoint, you, you've got some specific, uh, you know, verticals that you're serving and, you know, devices and those kind of things are always going to need some, some, you know, where there are physical goods. But what's your take on the whole uh, impact of the cloud and the role of disties in the future? You know, is it under attack like you think or is it changing? You know, what are your observations and, and opinions there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely under attack. I think there's 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 always companies that are interested to push the envelope and try to get ahead in terms of adapting their business model to changing environments. And cloud brings with it, it's, it's easier than ever for a company to go out to self-service, order and provision, even at the department level, a lot of cloud services. And these are things that are, enter a credit card and give a username and a password and you're, you have instant access. So the reseller's role as the brick builder is certainly jeopardized. I think there's a we see a big opportunity in helping resellers bridge that gap from, say, brick building and and traditional VAR services to how to be a better player in the cloud economy, and how to help manage, maintain, and support customer relationships. So we've been building and are continuing to evolve our toolkit that goes both ways to our vendor community to help them sell through through the channel with cloud services and to the resellers to give them tools to better manage and maintain their, their customer relationships. If you think of something as simple as their accounting and billing systems, many of them weren't designed with the cloud economy or subscription economy in mind. So we help them with tools to help them service customers, not miss renewals, give visibility to recurring revenue, the sort of things that they need to help run their business more profitably and, and keep their customers. And then the vendors are happy too and that they know they have channels that that business is being serviced. They're not worried about customers not being renewal notifications not going out. So they want to maintain that recurring revenue and renewal rate. Yeah, and I think, you know, Peter, just to bring you into this part of the discussion, I think this is something that we've talked about before where, you know, people want, you know, this word solution is, is kind of overused uh, in the industry. You know, customers want solutions. and But the reality is a lot of these, solutions or cloud solutions even is still basically a box of car parts when like people just want a car that they can drive right so the role of a channel partner is still being there to help integrate and put the pieces together so the customers can truly have the solution I don't think that ever goes away do you I don't think so either and I think that that's that's why you see kind of the the rise of the MSP and the the trendiness of the MSP right they may be the MSP may be aggregating a number of different cloud services, right? But but nobody really wants to spend the time to figure out how it all works still. You know, it's almost like the cloud is the medium, right? But the, the fact is, is somebody's still got to be able to help somebody figure out how to do all that and put it all together. And quite frankly, everyone who's buying every product oftentimes already has a full-time job and doesn't need another full-time job to try to figure out how to roll a solution out 
across an enterprise or something like that. So I think the, the role of the partner is, um, is still super critical in that. I think the problem is the transition from partners who are, you know, the born in the cloud partners or whatever, right? They know how to make an economic model work around that where the margins are lower and it's more self-service for the buyer, whereas the traditional partners are struggling to figure out how to, you know, uh, recalculate around a model like that. Um, but I still think, like you said, somebody's got to help put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, and I think that, you know, what what I've also heard here, too, from Connor is that, you know, companies, they may, uh, a lot of the career kind of paths that we see channel marketers or channel leaders go through is maybe you worked at a big company in an existing channel environment, you learned a lot of things, ran some programs and all that, then you go get a job at a new company where they want to enter the channel or they have a very small one, they want to build a proper partner program, all that. And they're like, hey, let's hire the person from the big company. Like, this was my situation when I went to work at GE Healthcare. And they're like, oh, yeah, and we want to find a DISTI, and we want to do this and this and that. So, like, having worked in those environments where the existing relationships were in place, you don't always know what you're doing. I know I didn't when I went to GE Healthcare. Like, I had to learn how to have conversations with DISTIs about potentially onboarding the product line and all that. So, what I like with what you're talking about, Connor, is, you know, you've got a process for having that conversation and helping people who maybe don't have all the answers when they show up and say, we think distribution might be a route you know, to market for us and, and kind of opening this channel. But um, let's pivot the discussion to, you know, once somebody's onboarded and kind of they've got the go-to-market established, you know, like we can go through distribution. Distribution has an existing set of channel partners that they work with, and, you know, you're selling to sellers. What are some of the more successful programs that you've seen, Connor, or that you and the team have run because that's where the money gets made, right? Like all the onboarding and like the we hope this is going to be a fruitful relationship stuff. You know, there's a lot of hopes, but then there's also mm-hmm. the expectations on both sides that we're going to be able to make some money out of this. So how do you progress to that point? What are some of the more successful programs that you've done? Yeah, I mean, certainly we've, we've started to call that path to productivity where it's, in, it's, it's significantly easier, as difficult as it can be to, to sign up new resellers, especially some of the larger ones, it's it's much more difficult to make them productive. So you got to have a plan. You got to have mind share, right? So we're, in, if you think about the retail space, we don't have shelves in a retail store. We have, we have mind share in a seller's head. And that requires a, a plan for presence, a plan for engagement, a plan for enablement. So and then you have to have business. It, it really helps to have business to point to. So as you look at building channels, you know, investments that we talk a lot about are what are deals that are out there today that can be brought into the channel to help uh, fast track the engagement. And it helps to be able to point to closed transactions along the way. So you have to have investments. You have to have a plan for training. Digital obviously is a huge deal. We all know the buyer journey. and how much buyers are completing that journey without ever talking to a sales rep. So giving resellers the tools, teaching them how to be successful, really enabling them. And then when we look at marketing, we look at not just individual instances, but we look at themed events over time. So our most successful type of marketing campaigns aren't just a one-time event like, hey, let's take everybody out and do a top golf thing for a day. That may be part of a broader campaign where we combine digital with a series of in-person events, with a phone blitz, with a promotion, 
with some reward events, like maybe there is a golf event thrown in there, but we, we are constantly beating the drum on a theme and we do that over a period of time. And that's where we see the, the, the best results. But it comes down to, you know, a plan for blocking and tackling, right? It's you have to, you have to have that out of the gate. Yeah, and I think uh, what I'm hearing too is the, um, you know, having the empathy for the partner's situation and kind of what they're trying to go through, right? They're the ones yeah. who are out there in all the cities and towns across the U.S. or around the world, quite frankly, where they are looking at bills, you know, invoices they have to pay, payroll they have to make. You know, they're trying to sell to customers and trying to earn business and more business and have reasons to call people on the phone. And so by packaging up some of those things and helping them build out that long-term plan, because it feels good to go take people golfing, right? And it's yeah. a nice you know, day out. But the reality is, you know, if you're taking somebody who's a prospect that you don't even have any kind of, you haven't qualified them, you haven't, you know, engaged really. I mean, a lot of people will go play around at golf with you, but it doesn't mean they're going to buy something from you. Well, and, and you, to, to build on that too, I think there's this, maybe undertone of reseller apathy. Why aren't they talking about my stuff? How come I can't get them to activate with my product? And, you know, you got you to gotta understand where you fit in their ecosystem. And if you think about something like, oh, use the retail example again, and you make soccer shin guards and, and your product's available in sporting goods stores, do you, accept the sale, do you expect the sales associates to just talk about soccer shin guards to every client that walks in? No, they don't. You have to understand what are their... What, are, what is their strategy? What are their goals? What are other complementary products and how do you align? That's especially critical of vendors that aren't, you know, if you're not Cisco, if you're not Symantec, if, if you're not HP, I mean, if you're not at that top tier in the channel, you really have to know where you fit and you have to be really tuned into your reseller strategy and you got to align with it. So I, I have a question on that. You've, you sparked a question because Mike and I uh, talk about this a lot um, with our uh, clients, it's like, you know, you got to be realistic about how much, a per what percentage of their business are you? Yeah. That's the question, right? And so the, the, then, then the question goes, if you accept that in the shin guard model, you are, you know, less than 1% of all that the sporting goods store is going to talk about it's, or sell, it's not realistic for them to be uh, talking about you all the time. But then the question becomes, what are the things you can do to become a bigger part of that business? And so, you know, how can you, you know, what are the sort of differentiation points that you can, uh, you can make from a channel standpoint that gets that reseller talking about you more? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to who do you align with that, that, that who can you, whose coattails can you ride? Do you have a play around Apple, around Samsung, around a major tech initiative that one of your resellers has? Can you help them? bring deals to the finish line faster with, with the tools that you bring to their customers. Those are all the things that we, we try to, we really try to uncover. I mean, is there something trending in the market right now that's going to drive a unique customer engagement that you, that you can align with? So maybe in healthcare right now, we're coming up on say point of care mobility refreshes where all the carts that people bought five or six years ago during the big EHR boom, those coming up for refresh. What's the stack of technology that goes behind that? So if resellers are really focused on that, do you have a good story to tell? Can you complement that message? Can you add to their profitability there? Can you help them deliver a more complete solution? But you got to tell them how you do that. And you got to know yeah, that that's important. I love that. 
I love that. And, and what I also love is Mike's suggestion that, you know, try to figure out what your, your salesperson is comped on, what that guy really cares about, right? And then is there a way you can, you know, ride his coattails in terms of, you know, helping him tell a story better or faster, right? Like, it's all about incentives and motivation. You know, what, what's really driving that person's behavior and how can you piggyback on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what, you know, Connor, you were just mentioning too, I reminded of a, a sales approach that we were taking at Microsoft. This is years ago before the, the enterprise agreement, which is kind of the gold standard of, you know, full full plate of kind of Microsoft products, you know, in one license agreement. But we used to map out these these socket attached kind of scenarios, and it was what you're talking about. And it was just within our own walls, but saying, like, you know, if you have this product, then what's the next logical purchase that a customer is going to make to attach to that? Because... You know, it's like I bought a, a used Jeep, as Peter knows, because he helped me go look at it last fall. You know, Jeep Wrangler has got to be the most uh, accessorized vehicle on the market. Yeah. And now I've got these Quadratech emails that are coming to me telling me all the, the millions of dollars worth of stuff I can add to it, you know, $500 at a time. But it's, you know, you think about all the little attach- attachments, all the things that can go on to any given solution that customers are going to benefit from. It's not just useless stuff, like the Jeep accessories for a lot of it, but, you know, things they actually need. And I think that, that that obviously is, you know, the, the predisposition that people have to add complementary pieces or you know that companies who are in healthcare, if they already have this, are going to need those point-of-care devices. Um, you know, beyond the iPad, what's the attachment to the iPad that they're going to benefit from having it at bedside, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this is your space and you do it really well. So, um, so that's something that I think as companies come on, you know, it's... A, if you have horizontal solutions, if you have vertical solutions, if you have niche products, if you have core kind of products, it's about finding your space and people who are going to care about that when they wake up every day. And it's challenging, but, you know, there's help. So, okay, good. Well, we've had a, a good kind of run through and good discussion today. We always like to finish with a couple of questions. As you know, Connor, I gave you the, the heads up in the warning. Um, you're a busy guy. You're a CEO. You're running a business there, but you've got to keep yourself uh, sharp. So one or two tips on kind of training things that you like and, uh, you know, are there any apps, technology, gadgets, books, or things like that that you're using to help keep yourself productive these days? Oh, uh, you know, currently we're in that growing pains problem where we got a lot of growth and that's a lot of, uh, adds, adds a lot of challenge, so that's fun, but it's also challenging. So right now I'm, I'm really working on execution model stuff. So I'm a big fan of anything that, that adds adds to good analogies for focus whether it's like a jim collins book like uh, great by choice or there's an execution model called the four disciplines of execution which is uh which is a really neat model to add focus and clarity and impact to big initiatives that you're trying to push so i'm 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 always a fan of things like that and those are a couple uh the four disciplines of execution is is something i'm currently really a big fan of um tech tool was the other question Let's yep. see. From a business perspective, we deployed Asana a couple of years ago as a as a project management co- tool in in our company, and it's always been there in the background. But uh, just just recently, really coupled with us implementing four disciplines of execution, have we really started to get the most out of Asana? And I'm in the last six to twelve months, I'm I'm really loving it. I'm I'm using it to give visibility to a lot of key projects we have across the company. Have you Personally, started using it? For personal stuff too, putting stuff into Asana. A little bit, but you know, I had 
I've I've been a big fan for years of getting things done, and that that book by David Allen, and um, I've used Evernote personally. I've I, I I tend to try new stuff a lot, so it's hard for me. I've gone back to a, a pen and paper for a lot of things, frankly, the analog model, and I think there's I found a lot of value in in disconnecting periodically. So trying to figure out ways to weave that in too, right? We live in a very connected world, and I think it's We've, maybe we've lost the ability to be bored or to get space to think. And, and for me, at this stage, it's important to try to find those, those spaces yeah. to cut out. Sometimes that means unplugging. Yeah, in fact, I, I think I told you the other day when we touched base about this that I just ordered this thing. It's called the Self Journal. Yeah. So it's a journal, but it also comes with a – you can tell it's still in the shrink wrap. I, I'm going to break this out for my vacation and kind of read this on the plane. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, daily planning – trying to look at goals, you know, both short and long term. And I think, you know, having that, I, I go through the electronic tools too much that I don't stick with anything. So I'm thinking a book might be the thing for me or something like you're saying that I can take, go for a walk and sit somewhere and, you know, write some things down. So it's uh, only, only the Veritech, big new idea, pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey, it's not just here, as we know, you know, it's, uh, it's something we all need. So all right, great. Well, uh, hey, Connor, thanks for your time today. Thanks for sharing some of your experience and, uh, and the good work that you and the team are doing at 3i with our, uh, our audience here today. Um, just a reminder that Connor's LinkedIn profile is in the chat on the side window if you're in Crowdcast today. So you can click on that and uh, reach out if you want to talk to Connor about anything one-on-one. -on -one. I'm sure he'd be happy to hear from you. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's office hours session. Uh, thanks so much, Connor. Thanks, Peter. Mike, appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. It. Thanks, Peter.